Our scripture reading today is from the book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, no, chapter 8, sorry, uh, verses 1 through 17. And I like what Deb is doing here. Actually, Deb, you prompted me to say this. I was, uh, every week I mean to tell you or to invite you to bring your Bible or grab a pew Bible so that you can follow along. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I might focus on a particular word or something and you can look at it for yourself and it helps deepen it into your mind and into your soul. And a really good spiritual discipline that you could do, a really powerful one actually, is to take that exact scripture, either from what I preach on or the Lectio Divina, and just look at it every day until next Sunday. If that's all you have time for, you know, if, if that's what your life allows right now, just do that. And uh, then you can be in the Word more too, right? That's powerful. So, if you would like to, Kyle, what? there you go. Kyle's doing it too. See, we're starting it. We're starting it right here. We're changing the culture. We're bringing our Bibles. We're reading them. Well done. Well done. So let's hear God's word from this uh, word of prophecy from Zechariah, starting in chapter 8. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts shall be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall, sit, shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, even though it seems impossible to the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be impossible to me, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you that have recently been hearing these words from the mouths of the prophets who were present when the foundation was laid for the rebuilding of the temple, the house of the Lord of hosts. For before those days there were no wages for people or for animals, nor were, was there any safety from the foe for those who went out or came in. And I set all of them against one another. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For there, there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall yield its fruit. The ground shall give its produce. And the skies shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things, just as you have been a cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purposed to bring disaster upon you when your ancestors provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not be afraid. 
These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things are things that I hate, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. How many times did I say Lord of hosts? <laughs> did you catch that? A lot of times. Uh, just, uh, just an observation. So one of the best parts of my week this week was um, having a spiritual conversation. I was reading Scripture with two other men. And we really we got down into it. We got down deep into the text. And we were reading from the Gospels. A lot easier to read from the Gospels than say this a word of prophecy. And we're trying to understand how to apply it to our lives. And the Spirit of the Lord was present to us. And we just felt encouraged and inspired talking about how this relates to our lives and how we can live it out and how important it is to be in God's Word and to be with one another and how that's essential for being the people of God. And we were so encouraged. We were so excited. And then the reality came in. Well, if only there were more than three of us. All of a sudden, that moment of hope and encouragement became a mindset of scarcity. Why do we do that to one another? Why do we automatically assume that in order for, to experience God's goodness and grace, to experience God's faithful, faithfulness, we need, you know, instead of three people, we need 30 people there. Would that really be any better or different than when three people gather and sense the presence of the Lord and want to respond to God's faithfulness with their own faithfulness? Why do we view our lives that way in saying that we don't have enough? Can you think of why we might do that? Is that common? Do you think that sometimes when you come here to the sanctuary and you say, man, there's only 15 people here? Maybe, right? I mean, honestly, I was thinking the same thing when it was five minutes to worship. <laughs> it was five to ten and there was like five people in here. I was like, well, you know, what, it's going to be good. We're going to have five. And then all of a sudden, more came in, you know. But that mindset was still there. I wonder, why do we, why do we go to that? And what does that do to our souls? What does that do to our spirits? And in the kind of worship that we bring to God, not just in the sanctuary here, but in all of our lives. Well, I think the hardest part is that we see, we see this experience through the lens of decline. And especially those of you who have been Christians longer than I've been alive, you, rem you remember the days of abundance. You remember the days when the, the church was full and things were closed on Sunday and the, and the nation was just uh, a majority was of people were Christians. And you just remember those days like they were yesterday. And so then you walk into the sanctuary and it's empty and you say, what is happening? And we miss something. We miss something about who God is and what God wants to do within your heart right now. But that lens that we carry around with us is hard to set down when we're reminded of it on a daily basis. Every time we come here, we just have those memories and it's so hard to replace them. And how many times have you heard in the news this week about you know, the decline of this or that or things are just unraveling and falling apart and it just puts your... It puts all your thoughts and your emotions into that posture of loss. 
and fear and anxiety. This experience is nothing new for God's people. I've been reading these, choosing these texts about the remnant of God's people from the Old Testament to remind us that decline for God's people is not a new experience of wondering what's going to come next, of saying, of, of lamenting and saying, if only more people would turn their hearts to the Lord. Or what's going to happen next? What is God going to do? That happened regularly in the Old Testament. And we can look to see, like, what, well, so what does God do and what does God say to the remnant, which is the biblical word for those who will survive that difficult time, those who will endure that time of falling away and remain faithful to God. What does God say to those people? What are God's promises to those people? And this text is a lot more hopeful than the one that we read last week, which talked about the punishment that was going to come, the natural consequences for the choices of God's people to not put God first in their life, to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, and to love one another as themselves. That's, that's really the basics of what God asks of us. And so there are consequences that are played out when we don't do that. This text in Zechariah, the whole book of Zechariah, is God's promise to the people who were exiled. So Jerusalem was destroyed. This was where God's temple was. And, and we, we easily take for granted um, the temple as being the church. You know, we've got this one. You might have come from another church this morning. You know, you, you might have a church you go to when you visit your family somewhere. You know, we have lots of churches. Well, for God's people in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the place. The temple was the place where they could be close to God. No other place. And they didn't have the same understanding that we do about, you know, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit and God is present to us everywhere. That wasn't their reality. So can you imagine the devastation, how hard it would have been for them to watch the temple be destroyed and then shipped off somewhere to a foreign land and know nothing about that culture and wonder what's going to happen next. Generations later, God's people are coming back to Jerusalem and are tasked, with, are tasked with rebuilding the temple. It's a big deal. So the whole focus was reclaiming the presence of God and tapping into, again, the power of God. But you have to understand that these promises that God is saying, that this is what I'm going to do for my people, He says, I will gather my people. They shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. You have to understand that that wouldn't just be an easy jump for them. Like, okay, there's a lot of work to be done. This is uh, really a painful experience. We've lost 70% of our people. That kind of sounds like our experience, right? I mean, if we look around, maybe 70%, you know, is, is missing from what would we, we would consider full. What's going to happen next? So God makes a promise to the remnant to restore them, to do good for them, to have peace again in their city. That they would be able to worship God and experience God's presence among them. And the promise is based upon God's faithfulness and righteousness. Let me read this again. He says, I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is God talking about God's self. 
I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness in verse 8. So God's faithfulness amounts to this. Trustworthiness. A state of being dependable or loyal. And it has to do with God's presence. His saying, I am, I am with you. I will be with you. And is also based upon God's power to redeem and to make new. In other words, this promise that God is giving to His people is not depending upon our faithfulness or our power or our ability to make new or to work together as large groups of people. Our responsibility is to receive the faithfulness of God. So yes, it's important that we are faithful to God because it's through our faithfulness to God that we receive and make reality God's faithfulness to us. So here's what God invites uh, his people to do. This is, he's saying, this is your job. Focus on these things. He says in verse 9, let your hands be strong in the rebuilding of the temple. He says, there will be a sowing of peace and the vine shall yield its fruit. Again, he says, do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Anytime that in, within a text something is repeated multiple times is something that we should pay attention to. Again, God says in verse 15, do not be afraid. That's three times. Three times in, in 17 verses. Do not be afraid. These are the things that you shall do. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Don't stop committing yourself to God. Don't stop trusting in God, but do these things. This is what you can focus on. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. So do things that bring about peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Kind of sounds like what Jesus says, right? Forgive one another. and Be patient with one another. Pray for one another. And love no false oath. Don't lie or don't be deceptive. Maybe don't pretend that you're one way to a person and then go and talk about them afterwards or stuff like that. You know, false oath and, and, and that uh, emphasis on uh, speaking truth also relates to how we show up in relationship. This is our job. To trust in God's faithfulness. To open ourselves to who God is. To not limit God. Jesus says it in this way that He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. <laughs> you, you don't grow the fruit. I'm sorry, but no matter how faithful of Christian you are, you still don't grow the fruit. <laughs> it's God that grows the fruit through us. And our faithfulness to God, our commitment to God, our willingness to show up and continue to give God everything that we have, it's what allows God to work through us. And we are the ones who receive the peace and the joy and the love and the hope, the patience, the courage. We receive all those fruits from God as we open ourselves to God. I uh, have been pretty open about this experience that I've had since May of feeling renewed in my faith and having an awakening experience and just seeing everything with fresh eyes. It truly feels like a spiritual awakening, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And a few weeks into renewal, even, just feeling so grateful for everything that God has done. And then I had a moment of mini panic. <laughs> you know, 
I don't want to lose it. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang on, I, I don't want to lose this. I want to live this way forever. Like, I just, want to, I, I just want to be open to God and do the things that I need to do and then let God's power and grace flow through me because it feels so much easier. It feels so much more hopeful. I feel so much more love and compassion and acceptance for others despite what their attitudes might be or what their willingness to commit or not commit might be or their inability to, to uh, move on from things that are painful from them in the past or whatever, that, those things that might be blocking me in my heart. I want to let go of those and just live into all of who God made me to be. You know who's responsible for that? Me. <laughs> you know who's responsible for your faithfulness to God so that you can receive God's faithfulness to you? Any guess? You. That's it. It doesn't really matter how many people are here for worship. That shouldn't, that shouldn't change your decision to come to worship. It doesn't really matter how many other people are reading their Bible every day. That shouldn't affect your decision to read your Bible every day. It doesn't really matter how many people in our whole nation are praying. It shouldn't affect your decision to pray today and to abide with Christ. That's what we're asked to do. And as we abide with Christ, then we're able to let go of fear. I don't know about you, but I'm not able to just muster up courage to let go of fear. Tried it for a long time. Did not work. <laughs> Didn't work. But I do know that when I allow myself, open myself to be close to Jesus, the fear melts away. As I remind myself that with Christ I am safe and with Christ, through Christ, I am loved and forgiven, then I can take deep breaths. You know? Then I can just accept someone who's very different from me and say, you know, God is working in their life in ways that I just can't understand. So what is God asking of me right now in this moment? This would be faithful to God. And that might involve the other person, but it might probably involves me pouring myself out for them. What I've noticed, friends, is that fear and anxiety, and especially if we have any sort of resentments, things that we really hang on to from our past, either towards God or towards other people, those things literally block the Spirit of God from working in our lives. We can't receive God's grace if we've got a closed posture like this. We just can't. And so we have to try to move towards letting go of what we knew. Which is really hard, right? It involves a lot of grief. Especially related, related to the church. It involves way more grief than we give credit to. A loss of what was. And naming that pain and saying, it's scary. And we want to make sure that God's people endure for generations to come. And that's actually where we see God's faithfulness play out, is through generations. I'm starting to get a glimpse of that now as I look to my children. And they, they come up to me as I'm reading the Bible, or Gina and I are praying, and I say, that's God's faithfulness. Not necessarily through the specific things that happen that are good or bad in my life, but through generations that now hopefully my children and grandchildren would know the Lord because of Gina and I's decision to be faithful to God. 
But it's so hard to move past the things that are right in front of us and to put our trust in the Lord, put our trust in who God is. Friends, this is the point that I want us to remember today is that a faithful remnant will bring about a new day for God's people. A faithful remnant. Those who prioritize those moments in your life that maybe it's just... Somebody told me just a couple days ago that really the only time they have for themselves is the, the car ride home from work. <laughs> in, the, in the quiet, I was glad to hear that the radio was turned off. <laughs> That might be it. But you can be intentional during that time about saying, God, I need you to to speak to my heart right now because I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm doubting who you are, or I'm, I'm being too hard on myself and I'm not able to receive the grace that you have for me. And maybe out of that space, courage will emerge to carve out more of that space and to tell others, hey, I need some help because uh, I need somebody to watch my kids so that I can read my Bible. (laughs) It might be that. But you have to start where you're at. God's faithfulness will bring about a new day. God's redeeming grace can bring hope and renewal even to the most hopeless-feeling times. I want to give you this image before we're done here today. Has anybody ever cut down a tree in your yard but didn't grind the stump? Yeah? Or you didn't spray it. Like when I worked on the golf course, you could spray it with chemical. And then it would... <laughs> I don't want those kind of chemicals in my house, right? That kill trees. <laughs> but you can cut down a tree. I have this one on the, on the edge of the parsonage yard right now on the prairie. I was in there trimming out the volunteer trees and I came across a stump that had been cut down seven years ago and it keeps putting up new shoots. And I went in there and I cut it down and I said, I'm going to restore this prairie area and it's going to be beautiful. And I looked like a week later and all those shoots came right back up. (laughs) And then I trimmed them again and I looked yesterday and those shoots are back. (laughs) The only way they're going away is if I grind that stump, which is not worth it, because nobody else sees it except for me, so I need to let it go. Or I put that chemical on there. I'm not doing that. So I just need to go in there and trim it out. Friends, sometimes that's what we need to do in our lives, is just to go in there and and trim out the stuff that's blocking the growth. That's where counseling and, and getting practical help with things, maybe getting a hold of our finances is helpful, or being honest about our schedule. Sometimes we need to do that. We need to prune things out. But the most hopeful thing is that those sprouts that emerge from the tree that was once cut down, and if I had lived there when the tree was there, maybe I would just be lamenting about that beautiful tree that was there. Those sprouts are just like the grace of God. And if I wasn't there to to prune them down and to, to just say how that's not as good as the other tree, they would grow really tall and big. And that's God's grace working in our lives bringing hope and renewal out of any circumstance. So I wonder what it will take for us as a church to say, hey, we have three people here who are reading the Bible together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because that means anything is possible. That means anything is possible. And if we have five to ten, even better. I'm counting on God to lead us in that way. Remind us of God's faithfulness 
over our, over our power and effort so that we can experience renewal first within our hearts, then as a congregation, then who knows from beyond. Let's pray. I'd like us to turn to God in prayer. And uh, Today I'm going to go back to what we used to do a while ago. And uh, after I pray a short prayer, uh, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Sound good? If you don't know it, or if you get tripped up like 